Our New Testament scripture reading is in Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 to 5. I invite you to follow along with me in your Bibles or listen as I read it aloud. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. The word of the Lord. Good morning, One Ancient Hope. It is a pleasure and delight to be with you this morning and this weekend. I've known of your church from a distance since its beginning. I have friends with Pastor Michael Langer. We would get together at General Assembly and talk about our church plants. We planted our church city of hope in 2007 and he planted here in 2008 and so it is indeed a privilege to finally make my way here among you and I do bring you greetings from the nation's capital and um, want to share with you from scriptures that were just read into your hearing this, this morning primarily the passage in Revelation 21 on this subject, the beauty of destiny's children. The beauty of destiny's children, this season of Advent as we have heard already so wonderfully, this is one of waiting. We wait coming of our long expected to come again, even as we look back to his first coming. And so I want to spend our time, what does it look like to wait in faith? Would you pray with me? We give you praise, Lord, for your word this morning. This word that is not dead, but that is alive and active sharper than any double-edged sword that pierces to the division of soul and spirit joints and marrow, the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And we do confess today, Lord, that we are all in this place naked and exposed to your eyes, the one to whom we must all give account. And that's good news, Lord, because... That means you know precisely what we stand in need of. So would you be pleased to take these efforts of mine, weak and unworthy though they may be, and use them to bless your people, to meet us where we are, to give us what we need. But whether that be faith, 
hope, encouragement, correction, peace, joy, all that we would be people who live more and more for the glory of Jesus Christ. And it is in his name that we ask these things. Amen, amen, and amen. Well, if you look at uh, bridalguide.com, like I did, you will find that here, at least in the United States, the most popular months to have a wedding are June, September, and October. And they say that this is particularly because the, the weather is most pleasant and delightful in early summer and then early, late summer, early fall. And so I've personally officiated plenty of weddings during my years of pastoral ministry, and those wedding dates have actually been all over the calendar year. And I haven't done a survey, but I suspect that those wedding dates are all over the calendar year because the, the, the most important thing is not actually the wedding date, but the marriage itself. And so when my wife and I, we would take couples through our pre-marriage counseling, we would be careful to reiterate over and over again the message that we're not trying to uh, prepare them for a wedding date, but for a life together as husband and wife. Because it's easy as you prepare for a wedding to get so caught up on all of the, the details and, and, and all of the, uh, the, the aspects of the day to make sure that it goes well, that everything is perfect and in place and beautiful. And when you're consumed with all those details, you can easily start to miss the whole point. The union together in a new home that's formed by that union. So I always tell couples, look, the day's going to be beautiful no matter what. Even if everything is perfect, and if you've been to a wedding, you know it's never perfect, right? Most of us right, have been to a wedding. Many of us maybe have been bridesmaids, groomsmen. Flower girls, ring bearers, ushers, and whatever else is needed. Uh, typically for me, and I know it's the case for my wife as well, whenever we attend a wedding, we are reminded of our, our own vows and, and our own commitment to, uh, to, to, to live more faithfully into those vows. If you've never been married and you attend a, a wedding, you can experience a sense of longing and anticipation of the day that you will one day be married if you were once married and are no longer married because of death or divorce. You might be happy for the newlywed couple, but may find weddings to be challenging for you. They can remind you of your accompanying pain and, 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 and grief and disappointment of that loss. There can be a longing for relief from that disappointment or pain. And so whether you find weddings to be delightful or difficult, whether you find them to, uh, to be picturesque or, or painful, it should amaze us 
that when God wants to give us a picture of what heaven is like, the imagery that he uses is of a wedding. You want to know the destiny of all those who come to God by faith in Jesus Christ. Well, picture the best marriage that you can imagine and then multiply it by infinity. As uh, Buzz Lightyear says, take it to infinity and beyond. Understand that the Bible begins and ends with a wedding. The first two chapters of Scripture, the pinnacle of creation, is the man and the woman. And we hear these words from Genesis 2, chapter 2 and verse 24, quoted at weddings all of the time. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And those words were not simply spoken to us in Scripture so that they could be used for repetition at wedding ceremonies. No, they were given to us as a picture of the trajectory forward in in anticipation of what we would hear in Revelation 21 when John says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God as a bride after she had been prepared for her husband. And I heard a great voice from heaven say, behold, the dwelling place of God is with humanity. Humanity and, and he will be with them and they will be his, his people and God himself will be with them as their God. What does it mean to have this kind of a destiny? It means a guarantee of beauty. A guarantee of beauty, personal beauty, collective beauty, where nothing that is not beautiful will ever exist again. It sounds fanciful, like a, like a fantasy, but it is backed by the full faith and credit of God himself. And so I want to hone in on just two things as we look at these scripture passages to talk about longing for beauty and living for beauty. Longing for beauty and living for beauty. Destiny's children live with a longing for all things to be made beautiful. That is the longing for everything to be the way it ought to be. They, they have to become comfortable of longing for something more and something better. Things are not as they ought to be. It is scheduled, but Destiny's children do not know the date. Secondly, Destiny's children live uh, together in the reality that the future promise of beauty has broken into the present world. As they are being prepared for life as it ought to be, they 
can experience a life of beauty today. Therefore, life now is not a hopeless venture. Uh, We get eyes to see that renewal and renovation and reconciliation and transformation are coming. So, first, longing for beauty in Revelation says in verse 1, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth because the former heaven and the former earth had passed away. And here towards the, the end of this last book of the Bible, what we are seeing with greater clarity is how God intends to satisfy the longings of his people. One of the questions that God's people continually ask him in the scriptures is how long? How long, David says in Psalm 13 and and verses 1 and 2, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy triumph or be exalted over me? In Revelation chapter 6 and verse 10, martyrs cry out. It says, John says, they cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long? How long before you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? How long can you and I wait for things to become the way that they ought to be? You know what words John repeats over and over and over and over again in the book of Revelation, maybe more than any other words. John keeps saying, I saw this. I saw that. I heard this. I I heard that the, the covers are pulled back for him so that he can see with his own eyes and with his own ears he can he can hear and experience the true reality what i mean is this is not that the things that you and i experience with our senses what we see and what we hear and and what we experience with our senses is not that that those things are not real or true it's just that they don't give us the full picture there's more to it. The Lord gives John and the, and the church insight in, into what is going on beyond, behind what we're able to perceive. Curtains are pulled back and John says, I see a new heaven and a new earth because the former heaven and the former earth had passed away. The sea was no more. John is letting us know this is where the world is headed. This is the world's destiny. Not only that, but he sees the holy city the new Jerusalem that is is coming down out of heaven. He says, I saw that too. I saw city as it descended out of heaven from God as to she was prepared as a bride who had been adorned for her husband. I didn't only see the, the destiny of the world, John says, I saw the destiny of God's people too. John wasn't the first to say it. He wasn't the first to see it. The Lord had declared it to Isaiah centuries before John was alive. 
uh, Israel was, was in exile, longing to be restored to her land. And the Lord gives the prophet Isaiah a message in Isaiah chapter 62 and verses 3 to 5. The Lord says to the, his people, you shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord, a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You shall no longer be termed forsaken and your land shall no more be termed desolate, you shall be called, my delight is in her, and your land married because the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married, for as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you, and as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. In Isaiah's day, the people's vision was too short-sighted. They wanted to get back to that patch of land in Palestine. The Lord had to say to them, your vision is too small. It's too short-sighted. I'm not just concerned with some little piece of land. I'm remaking the whole thing. And hundreds of years later, after Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world after he comes to save his people, giving up his life on the cross for their sake, being buried and rising on the third day in triumphant victory over death, all of that, his people are still waiting. When is our resurrection? How long, O oh Lord? The one who sits on the throne, has to reiterate, behold, I am making all things new. Write it down, John. Write it down because these words are faithful and they are true. I am the Alpha and the Omega. I'm the beginning and the end, John. You see, we ache. We ache. And we groan and we long things to be better than they are. The compromising and idolatry nature of humanity is that we fix our longings by ourselves. <laughs> we try to fix our longings for beauty by ourselves and on our own terms. Let me just give you a personal example. You know, I, I personally long for that beautiful, uh, athletically aesthetic body. So, you know, I'm always battering my body with kettlebells and CrossFit and trying to eat right and, you know, try to lose some of the tissue that's gathered around my midsection, right? And I tell people, look, you know why I do all this thing? I'm just trying to delay the decay. You know, the, like the decay is coming. I'm just trying to hold it off right, for, for a little while. The human mind right, has been able to achieve and discover great medical advancements. We put our minds to use through technology, attempting to, to make life better for people, to, to heal what is broken, whether that be broken bodies or broken relationships. I, I'm glad that I can use technology like Zoom to, to, to talk with my family in different parts of the world, in Trinidad and, and in Europe and in other places. I can't afford to fly overseas all the time 
but I can see them and, and talk with them. I'm, I'm glad for that. I, I'm glad that, that medical research continues to discover remedies and medicines that, that attack the things that attack our bodies. I'm glad that the creative genius in humanity tries to strive for something better, making beautiful music and beautiful art. However, in all of our striving, in all of our longing, in all of our advancements, we cannot make things so beautiful, so radically new that there will be no more decay. Death is not the great enemy that is, that is conquered by, by modern medical advancements. Death is the great enemy that is defeated by the cross of Jesus Christ. And John is declaring to us that only God can do this. Only God can do this. He is the source of beauty. So only he, as the preacher says in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 11, can make all things beautiful in its time. Only God can make all things new. It is not the outcome of, of human scientific or technological advancement. As one commentator on this passage put it, the new city comes down out of heaven from God, a sheer miracle, a gift that is bestowed at the end of human history, not as the outcome of it. In other words, the beauty of the bride, the beauty of the new creation is not the outcome of human progress and advancement. Gift from God. The word that word in the text, behold, is not a call first and foremost to do anything. It is a call first and foremost to observe, see, watch, and see. I'm making all things new. It is an invitation to look and to believe and to rejoice. God is committed to the beautiful renovation of his creation. This, this word that is used for new in our text, it typically indicates newness in terms of quality. In other words, through the victory of Jesus Christ over death, God is executing his renovation project. Longing, this longing that we have, for our beautification and for the beautification of the world, it can weigh us down. It can weigh us down because, try as we might, what we cannot successfully do is cover our eyes at the ugliness. The beauty that we're longing for is not, as one writer put it, is not the airbrush sheen of the fashion magazine where you cover over all of the flaws, trying to hide the imperfections. Fleming Rutledge, in her recent book on Advent, puts it well. She, she writes this. She says, 
To grasp the depth of the human predicament, one has to be willing to enter into the very worst. Entering into the very worst means, she says, giving serious consideration to the most hopeless situations. For instance, she writes, uh, for the most profound cases of developmental disability, what hope is there for a ward full of people who will never sit up, walk, speak, or feed themselves? Tourists, she says, go to the site of Auschwitz-Birkenau and, and take pictures, but who can really imagine the smells and the sounds of the most depraved of all situations? She says that the tourists can turn away in relief and go to lunch. Can I tell you this? This is the truth. Those who belong to Jesus Christ are not tourists who turn away from the darkness and relief and go to lunch. We are people who strive to live for beauty now even as we long for it in the middle of the darkness. And so the challenge is when in this life, we get, we get glimpses of eternal beauty, the, the paradox of it, the, the seeming contradiction of the presence of eternal beauty alongside the ugliness and deep depravity of this life, a burden that's too heavy to bear. In a recent talk on, on the paradox of beauty, the artist and author Makoto Fujimura described his becoming a Christian in this way. He said that he was in Japan studying the old form of Japanese paintings called Nihonga, and he said that, that the way Jesus led him to faith was by confronting him with beauty. He said it was through the extravagant crushed minerals that he was using in his artwork, malachite and azurite and gold and silver and other precious uh, materials, these beautiful extravagant materials that he was learning to use and he was mastering. And he said, every day I sought higher transcendence through these extravagant materials, I found success in expressions through Nahanga materials. And he says, and yet the weight of beauty I saw in the materials began to crush my own heart. I could not justify the use of extravagant materials if I found my heart unable to contain their glory. The presence of beauty now is hard to bear because its glory can be too much. You look, look and listen to just a few verses beyond our passage in Revelation 21 at the weight of glory, not just of God, but the glory of the bride. John says in verses 9 to 11 of Revelation 21, he says, Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, Come, I will show you the bride the wife of the lamb. And he says, he carried me away in the spirit 
to a high, great mountain and showed me the holy city coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. If you keep reading beyond verse 11, you will find that John is beside himself to give us a picture beautiful and how glorious the bride is. The walls of the city are built of jasper. The city itself is pure gold like clear glass. The foundations of the city are adorned with every kind of jewel, jasper, sapphire, agate, emerald, onyx, and on and on. It is a description of the eternal weight of glory. But look, the, the point of John seeing for us and describing for us this eternal beauty isn't simply to make us long for the sweet by and by that's coming. It's even more enable us to live for that beauty in the ugly and nasty days right now. It is for us to feel the weight of this beauty that that Fujimura described and not be crushed by it as, as we refuse to turn our eyes away from the very worst of the human predicament. You see, Destiny's children hold on. They take their cues for living from, for, from what has been revealed to them by God. You see, the churches that John was writing to in Revelation were in a fight. John starts off the letter with these letters to the seven churches, and he's still writing to them in chapter 21. They were in a fight. They were suffering persecution. They were facing poverty. They were facing political oppression. They were facing the temptation to compromise their faith so that life would be better and easier for them. And they needed to know that God's promise that their destiny was to be with him as he remade everything was more certain than what their eyes were seeing and their ears were hearing. It is the same thing that we need to know right now today, that God's promise to his people that they will be with them and that he himself will be with them as their God is more certain than any other message that life in this world is giving us. People who have this kind of destiny can live for beauty now, even as we long for it can live in a way that seeks to be used by God to bring flourishing and newness of life to neighbors, even as we long for all things to be made new. Understand that, that this, that because of who God is, because of who God is, he can say in verse 6 of Revelation 21, it is done. <laughs> 
In fact, the, the Greek text literally says they are done, not a singular it is done. In other words, everything, God says, everything that I said was going to take place, everything that has been promised, it's already done. It's already done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega. I'm the God of the beginning of history. I'm the God of the end of history. And I'm the God of everything in between. Let me share these two things with you as I, as I close. Two things that I think help us to live for beauty right now. First, know this. Know this, if you have given yourself to God, you come to God by faith in Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ, know this, that God has smiled on you. Do you belong to Jesus? God delights in you. God delights over you. That, 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 that language that he used in Isaiah 62 has come to pass in your life. I will delight on you. My soul delights in you. Do you belong to God through faith in Jesus Christ? It's true of you. You're beautiful one facet of, our, of beauty is the fact that it delights. In Christ, God looks at you and he's smiling. Like I know, right? I know you still got problems and issues. I know that's the truth. I know you still fight temptation, but God is still smiling. Esther Lightcap Meek, in her book, Loving to Know, talks about having a sense of personal beauty. And she says this, she says, a sense of personal beauty comes, I believe, only in the generous, self-giving gaze, the noticing regard of another person, that we need the affirmation of others to, to know that, that, that we have a sense of personal value and, and beauty. And then she writes this, she says, but a sense of personal beauty is nevertheless accessible to all in the life-giving, noticing regard of Jesus Christ. If, when human noticing regard fails to occur, any person may nevertheless experience it in the gaze of the Lord, in personal redemption, and in the celebration of the Eucharist, in the celebration of the Lord's Supper. He, she says, His alone is the face that will not go away. And his alone is our highest joy. The face of Jesus smiling over his bride and his people is the one that will never go away, that will never be turned into a frown. And here's the second thing. And, and, and this is connected. The second thing is this. Nothing is wasted. What I mean the Lord says to John, this loud voice from heaven says to John that God will wipe away every tear, that there will be no more death, that there will be no more mourning, that there will be no more crying, that there will be no more pain. Those things have passed away, the voice says, but please know right now that today's pain 
today's crying, today's tears, and today's mornings, and today's deaths, and today's disappointments, they're not wasted. They're not wanted, but they're not wasted either. Notice with me, please, that what John sees in verse 2 is the holy city descending out of heaven from God after it was prepared as a bride adorned for a husband. These are passive verbs. Here's what I mean. The emphasis in the passage is that it's God who prepared the bride. It's God who adorned the the bride. He was the one who selected the wedding dress and the wedding date, and and he was the makeup artist and the the hairstylist. And in fact, he even drove the limo because it says she came down out of heaven from God. How did he prepare her for her wedding day? Understand, part of the preparation was through the tears, through the crying, through the mourning, through the pain. He equipped her to endure by faith as a part of her beautification. And what this enables us to do is to keep our eyes open, to keep our eyes open and live for beauty right now following Jesus' lead. As his people, we live for beauty just the way our Savior did. Not many days from now, we will celebrate the the fact that, that, uh, that the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who exists in eternal Beauty and glory refused to turn his eyes away from the darkness of this world. And so the son left his beautiful communion to take on our fragility and our weakness and our vulnerability so that he could restore us to the beautiful, intimate communion with God and with each other that we so desperately need and so secure in our own beauty, we see the darkness of the world and we keep longing for and looking for and and pointing out how this world, even though things are often terrible and tragic, the truth is the world is still charged with the beauty and the glory and the grandeur of God. And it is through faith in Jesus Christ that he gives us these kind of eyes. He gives us this kind of empowerment and equipping to be the presence of beauty in the world right now in the midst of almost and seeming pervasive darkness to the glory and praise of his name. Would you pray with me? Lord, we know that this is coming when the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord the way the waters cover the seas. And even now as we are people who long, who long, who long to see that day, we give you praise that because of the coming of our Savior and his work on our behalf, that day has broken into the present moment. Would you give us eyes to see? Would you give us 
the strength to live for that kind of beauty in the midst of this world to the glory of your name, that you might receive all the praise. Amen. Amen. Amen and amen.